The Guardian. Hello, it's Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. In this week's instalment, Darren Heyman talks to me about the Essex Witch Trials. We sit down with Hudson Mohawk and Lunice to get the inside track on their TNGHT, or Tonight, plus tracks from Jamie Liddell, Christopher Owens and XTG with Anthony Hegarty. That's in Singles Club. Alex Needham is with us. Hello, Alex. Hello, Alexis. Hello, Hello, Kieran. How are you? I'm good, thank you. What's the big music news of the week? What's been happening? It's probably the Rolling Stones coming back, isn't it, at the weekend? It's either that or Rihanna's plane. <laughs> or the guy from the Flaming Lips taking a grenade to the airport. Have you seen this? What? Flaming Lips are dead to me because they pissed off Erica Badu anyway. But, uh, yeah, have you not seen this story? He walked through Oklahoma Airport with a grenade in his luggage. And Who did? Wayne Coyne? Wayne Coyne. Yeah. And surprisingly, the whole, the whole uh, airport was locked down. That's amazing. Why did he have a good, did he have an explanation for why he had a grenade in his luggage, other than he's Wayne Coyne and is a crazy guy? Maybe it was one of those uh, stage shows that the, uh, you know, there's often a lot of pyrotechnics. There was a fantastic explosives. quote from him that said something like, I think I may have made an error in judgment. Wow, like that. that's amazing. Would you like to be on Rihanna's plane? Yeah. With a grenade. Um, <laughs> would you really? I would. One of my friends, the fantastic Sean Rowe from the NME, is on there and she's tweeting about it and she was just just telling me like it is carnage I mean it does sound quite awful mm. but simultaneously hanging out with lots of journalists having fun yeah sounds quite good you could do worse Alex. if you're with a mate might be fun it's one of those things that where you where you embark on it you probably yeah. think this is going to be a real laugh <laughs> yeah. but actually the idea of spending seven days either hung over or half cut on a plane mm. it, I think it'd be horrible I think there's a, the, the one thing I think about loads of journalists moaning about it is as a journalist it's a brilliant story. You're going to come back oh, yeah. with this, you know, I mean, the, the, it's this stuff that never normally happens these days. You know, you hear all these sort of tales of extravagant kind of promotional thing, junkets that took place in the past and all went disastrously wrong. And, you know, the launch of Brinsley Schwartz or whatever, there was the famous one where they took a load of journalists to America and everybody missed the gig they meant to see and all this <laughs> kind of thing in the, in the early 70s. And I sort of think this is, this is it. This is it's happening right here, right now. It, it has it has become funny by you know that that that's sort of become the story. But as as an editor, I can imagine phoning up and say, "Come on, you've been on this plane for five days. Mm. Where's your Rihanna story?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All, we haven't actually seen her beyond the time she was she was on stage. I think that that would probably yeah. Be I can see I can see why if you were looking for constant news updates and nothing was happening, <laughs> yes. I was thinking more in the end perhaps it would be more suitable for a magazine feature. That's than true. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. No, I'm sure there'll be a lot of great um, great long form. Uh, I think Mark Ellen. Of, of uh, formerly of Word magazine is on there. Which he's blogging it. Yeah, he's he's working quite hard interviewing all the yes, stylists, he is, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. For, a, for a journalist of his uh, mature mature years, it's pretty. He's getting stuck in there. And the other news is the Rolling Stones. Yes, with Bill Wyman back in the lineup. <laughs> It's like, and Mick Taylor. Mick Taylor. Well, I, I suppose Mick Taylor is quite uh, quite overstaffed with guitarists now, the Rolling Stones. Yes. There's three guitarists on stage. Yeah. Um, Bill Wyman. This must mean, didn't this signify that it's like their last gig or something? Will they ever stop? Will they ever stop? Not while there's money to be made, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> No, exactly. And there's a lot of money to be made, right? How much are the tickets? How much was it? Well, the cheapest were about 93 quid, I think. And for that, you get to sit. I've been in the cheap seats at the O2, and it's just terrifying. It's incredibly high up. <laughs> it's really high. You can't, you can't, it says on the thing, you know, you, on the, the ticket itself, you can't take the seat if you suffer from vertigo. Yeah. Which really? Just, yeah, 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 yeah. 
So, and down the front, I expect it's 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 like twelve thousand, twelve hundred quid, twelve thousand quid. Twelve <laughs> slight exaggeration. It's a million pounds. <laughs> um, it's twelve hundred quid or something, isn't it? I think the. It is something insane like that. I mean, I suppose they've, they've played stadiums now, haven't they, for about 30 years. So to yeah. see them in a venue with a, with a roof on it is probably a novelty. But, um, but But it's just becoming a... It's the, it's the gigger's luxury product, isn't it? There was an amazing um, uh, thing about it in the Daily Mail. Sometimes the Daily, Daily Mail writes amazing features about music. And this is one of them, and it went, this is going to be rubbish because they don't have a new album out. And there won't be any new material in the show. Because that's what everybody's going to the Rolling Stones show here, isn't it? It's, oh, no, don't. Don't do Gimme Shelter. Is there, have you got anything, you know, along the lines of Sweet Neocon from your last album? That's what we want to hear. Um, anyway, right. Well, let us carry on. On to Hudson Mohawk and Lunas. Their Tonight project started out as a fun experiment. Then big name fans such as Azealia Banks and Kanye West started asking for beats. Could Tonight become the new Neptunes? Landray Bakery finds out. For like people who are going to listen to the podcast and don't know, how, how did the how did the magical partnership happen? <laughs> magical, I don't know. If magical means drunk, then yeah, <laughs> 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 we're, we're like two regular dudes. Imagine this: two regular dudes, you know, just in the studio, and like, hey, you know, let's, let's just jam out and drink or whatever, and make music and not really think about it and but see like, what we, comes up. We, we, first time we met was. Four years ago? Yeah, yeah, and a while ago. Obviously, like, living on opposite sides of the Atlantic was a bit of a problem to be doing collaboration stuff. I think both of us had done collaboration stuff before, and both of us had done sending things back and forward to people, and especially in the sort of, in the MySpace days and all that stuff, was a lot of people, like, you send files back and mm-hmm. forth. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't really. And I'd found from my own stuff, it, for the most part, the outcome wasn't really all that great it's much better to to just try and do it in person Lunas had a couple of, Lunas was on his own tour not the it's past summer but the summer before yeah, so like about a year and a half ago and had a few days off in London and I just just uh, moved into this new studio and we were just like right we've been talking about doing something we might as well just do it mm-hmm. had a couple of nights just started to sort of jam out in this in terms of how, how big you want to get and how big you want the project to be, there seems to be kind of different levels at the moment in terms of producers and stuff. There's like Mike Will Made It, Drummer Boy, kind of Clams Casino, who will be on a mixtape. Maybe there's a couple of tracks on it. Mm-hmm. But there doesn't seem to be that kind of like Neptune's producers who are just absolutely on in everything. Is that going to be you? <laughs> I don't know. I just, all I say is how, mo- how, how much further can we push it? Um, that's what I'm interested in. That's what I'm, just like curiosity, really. Yeah. Worth it. Do you have like people in mind for tracks? So like, if you've got a track and you think you know what Wiz Khalifa should get on this, I'm gonna send. I'm gonna try and get it to him. Does it work like that, or are you just kind of wait for the organic thing to happen where people just kind of react to it? Uh, yeah, both. We just put out a bunch of names and then just just to put out like who, who, who we're digging at the moment, and then uh, as we work, we could be like, oh, this could be dope for this rapper. He's got that flow. That will totally go on this 
kind of track and then you know maybe try to work at it and try to get it to him and see how it goes and or whatever it all depends it could be like there's all kinds of ways to encounter a session with an artist you know like it could be from touring and you both have days off in the same city like what what i had with angel hayes the same story she had a day off i had a day off they put us together and it was like uh, this adidas thing so uh, you know, there's that way, and there's other ways of like you schedule something with them, with their management, blah blah blah. So there's all kinds of different ways to to approach them. people this year have kind of talked about uh, well it's been for the last couple of years really talk about rap music and especially trap and see it and kind of say this is dumb rap this isn't what this isn't what it used to be you know and people talk about golden periods like yeah, I don't yeah. know like 93 that's, what, yeah, that's the whole thing man like when, when people ask me the, that question my whole take on it is they can do whatever they want you know I'm not gonna bug him I'm not gonna be mad you know cause like essentially you know it's a group of young kids or you know younger generations or something getting together, creating some music. You know, that's cool. That's completely cool. They can totally do that. My only thing that irritates me is that if the people who are into it are not aware about, like, the roots of, like, rap, about hip-hop culture, mm -hmm. but they're just taking trap as its own thing, that I can't be... I just can't cope with. Yeah. You know, like, how can you just take it and not be, like, about hip-hop? Yeah. <laughs> But I think that's the only negative part. That's it's the a, only negative part. There's a lot of, mm. a lot of people into just education, that's specifically all. like this trap thing or whatever that are not necessarily hip-hop people. In it. They're yeah. just like dance music people, you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. Whereas I think our approach from it comes yeah. from like a full lineage of always being like hip-hop rap guys, you know, basing it on having come up in that sort of scene rather than just coming out of like dubstep or some do you ever feel like trying to make that really kind of clear in your music like to, you know trying to uh, no I let them do how they want to take it I mean like because when mean, I play I shows there's it's sort of ish, you know it's for the right the right people like know anyway and yeah. for this sort of trap thing or whatever it's already becoming like such a kind of generic sound of thing that everybody will use the same exact kick drum the same exact snare and, and then you know they're all doing that and then we just don't use those sounds, you know what I mean? We, that's not what is the focus of the music. Like, that's almost become like, so if you're making this type of track, it has to have this certain hi hat, has to have this. Ha it's has just to like, have it's the not, drop. It's not about, <laughs> yeah, it's not you know? about any of that. It's just. What if they just had a massive hi hat the whole time and one kick? Y'all be a tight track. Why? Because you have the balls to do it and you don't give a fuck. That I like. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know and you're like yeah that's my trap shit okay cool because <laughs> you're pushing it you're like that's cool i like that idea but also like just just educating yourself because like any kind of genre i get into i love to do research about it because i'm i like, i'm passionate about it i i, I want to know more about it mm -hmm. you know rather than like straight up taking it or whatever but i'm not saying they're stealing anything and i can't blame them because i'm sure there's a bunch of kids who 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 just discovered trap and then don't really know much about rap you know yeah can't blame them I, all i can say is look at the history just for the sake of being curious and knowing stuff really yeah definitely it's definitely different though isn't it because i think like 
when I was growing up, like the 90s or whatever, my mates, big brothers would be like, is, you know, Enter 36 Chambers, is built for yeah. Cuban links. Whereas now it's like, you know, people are looking back to the early 90s for like albums to pass their little brothers and stuff. So it's just, yeah. it's just different. Yeah. God bless them though. <laughs> Um, I want to talk to a bit about the live show. I think just for years and years since laptops became a kind of part of people playing live, mm -hmm. seem to think oh, laptop and live it doesn't really go together. But you start to kind of bring a bring an energy to it. How important is that to kind of involve the audience and, and kind of get things get things going rather than just standing by the laptop? And... Really made an effort to turn the whole thing into more of like uh, we'll try and make it more like an experience type thing for the whole the whole show. Like you know we worked together with a really good um, you know like stage designer guy who's built a um, good stage show in terms of the lights and the stage layout and how we were both set up on the stage and also just how we've picked our particular shows that we do as well like we've intentionally not done every festival every show every like I think we've only done seven or eight shows ever basically picking what what we think are like the key shows to do the important ones the shows where we make sure we can have our full set up in terms of mm -hmm. stage size um have all the all the production and just build the full sort of atmosphere of the whole thing rather than just being like right we're going to come out and just be with our laptops yeah, yeah. like I, I guess like other shows um what i noticed well <clears throat> from like Twitter feeds, um, like fans would be, uh, like say with other artists who are more uh, DJing kind of thing, they always look forward like, oh, I hope they're gonna play that track. You know, like, oh, I hope they're gonna play that track of this dude who did a remix of that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it, yeah, but well, yeah, he's a DJ, so that's like thing. So like, but that's the thing though, like everybody's onto that. <laughs> everybody's a DJ. And that, that's yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. valuable thing as well. Like I started off as just DJ and I yeah. still do shows like that where it's just, but that's a different it's thing. Nice like that's some... that's it's, it's a very different thing because that's yeah. you're playing music in a club. And, and like between the two of you, there seems to be a pretty clear kind of difference in the live setup. You'll be like kind of jumping around, kind of hype, absolutely going for it. Yeah. You've got a bit of a slow kind of head nod thing going on. Yeah. Well, you know what's going on, but you just you just chilling there. <laughs> Do you like feel like just saying, you know what, you you stand over there, this time. I'm gonna go over there. I'll leave the massive bottle of Moe or whatever. I'm gonna run over there. You feel like switching up, or <laughs> like switching up? Uh, we'll see, we've got the, the the London show next week. So. Yeah. <laughs> Switch on. Might come out in a chicken suit. Does <laughs> <laughs> oh, it look good already? Okay. Hudson Mohawk and Loon East there talking to Lanry Bakery. Ah, uh, time to give some new tunes the Dragon's Den treatment in Singles Club. Alex, let's hear what you've brought in.
Uh, that's Christopher Owens. Here we go, Alex. That's your choice for Singles Club this week. Tell us about Christopher Owens. Tell us about Here We Go. Very heavy on the flute. It is heavy on the flute, yeah. A brave, ma- a bold <laughs> move, I always find. Someone that's really, you know. I know, normally it's a bit of a bad sign in pop music when the when the flute comes out. Yeah, but, uh, it's Michael think... Kuanuka when the flute starts, when the flautist guy starts with him. It's, forget <laughs> it. No, I think he gets away with it there. Um, well, he was one of Girls. Um, there were two of them, San Francisco duo. And they put out two albums and one EP um, that were very tuneful, but quite kind of scuzzy, mm. um, sort of West West Coast kind of um, rock music. And he's obviously taken. That, I mean, he's he's got this incredible story where I think he was brought up in a kind of religious cult, and then he oh, really? sort of ran, and then he sort of ran away and was taken under the wing of this kind of of this slightly dubious seeming millionaire and then really um, yeah and uh, and I, th- I think I think girls split up amid a s- some I think there were there were some the usual kind of rock and roll problems that intervened mm. but anyway he's he's uh, back solo and this seems a much more gentle side to him but I think there's always a really nice sort of innocence to what to what he does despite all the experience he's had and I th- and I think the tunes are always really strong. I think he's got a, a, a kind of beautiful singing voice, and and the, the the whole kind of arrangements are always a lot more interesting than just your kind of meat and potatoes rock. Like he's always had gospel singers in and strings and stuff. And and I think this is this is this is just a really good song. That and I think he he will probably be a pretty big star eventually. I agree with you. I think it is a really good song. Um, it reminded me a little bit of um. Who's that guy that used to do the Mouldy Peaches? Adam. Oh, Adam Green. Yeah, sort of that, as you said, that kind of slightly naive, wide-eyed yeah. sort of, uh, not Jonathan Richmond-esque, but that kind of yeah. that kind of thing. And I thought, well, actually, it was a really nice record. I thought it was a really good, you know, sort of uh, intriguing. Made me want to hear more by him because it's sort of it's singer-songwriterish, but not in the usual standard singer-songwriter idiom. Yeah, definitely. I think he, I think he's a bit of a kind of wayward indie troubadour of the kind we've not we've not seen for a long time. Mm. And also, you know, he. He looks he looks great. He's uh, you know he's 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 got a good story to tell, and I and I, I sort of like the I always like it when bands do, do kind of do one for the fans, where it's a bit of an anth- where it's a bit of an anthem for everyone to kind of follow them. There's there's something quite kind of generous about what he does, and something that that I think will appeal. You know, it's a bit of an appeal to the sort of the kind of in the the sort of indie outsiders. And again, mm. we've, we've not we've not sort of had a figure like that for. For a while, Never no, we haven't. We haven't. Oh, Kieran, what did you make of it? Um, I didn't really like the track, but I kind of after hearing the backstory, um, I'm you joined so, a religious think, cult. <laughs> yes, I'm a little, little bit more interested, must say. Um, I, yeah, I just felt like it felt a little bit overly sincere or a little bit earnest folk rock type thing. Incredibly slow moving, very earnest. Um, and I don't know so much about the field, but it doesn't necessarily feel like it's breaking a lot any new ground. And I know that you know music doesn't need to always constantly feel like it's um, you know breaking ground or doing something completely new. But it just felt like it was easy to ignore almost. I liked it. Do you know I, what I mean? It had a sort of afternoonish vibe. I like records, generally <laughs> speaking, that sound like. You should be listening to them in the afternoon. Mm. Um, I don't. I can't really explain that, other than it seems an odd time of day to try and evoke in song 
um, you know, normally it's about the night or something like that. You know, I, I, this is not really the most relevant or rambling point. This is the kind of thing I start writing in a review and then just, oh, that doesn't really make much sense, I'll cross that out. Um, no, I know, what you mean. Uh, I know what you mean, but kind of sun, sun dappled, yeah. lazy, yeah. you know, cosy. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's, playing, he's playing a gig in a couple of weeks in a church in London, I think, okay. so the, I imagine there'll be a lot of burning candles. Quite a nice backdrop. Might be good. Mm. I love a gig in a church, yeah. actually. I, yeah. I think it's, you know, if they're done well, great, they're a great yeah, thing. Exactly. But I mean, I think that when you maybe kind of taken out of any context, it might seem a bit different to when you see him. Which um, I think, I think, uh, I think the whole package is maybe more. Uh, you know, the, the, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to him, and this is just one facet of what he does. Excellent. Um, that's Christopher Owens, and here we go. Um, is that a single? Is that coming out? It is. Uh, the album's out in January, I believe. Um, and yeah, that's you, it's on it's on the internet now. But yeah, I think it'll be a proper single in de- middle of December. Wonderful. Let's move on to Kieran's choice. <laughs> Jamie Liddell, back, back, back with uh, What a Shame. Kieran, that's your choice. Uh, tell us why you brought that in. Yeah, so good. I, I, I really love it. Even just hearing a little bit of a snippet there, I thought it was great. Are you a long-term um, Jamie Liddell fan? Well, this is the thing. This is obviously a bit of a move away from yeah. um, that warm one, one-dimensional retro soul of uh, yesteryear, mm. um, of the, the Compass album, which I think was maybe a couple of years ago, 2010 perhaps. You know, this is definitely, I, I liked him, but I wasn't crazy about him at that time. But then I heard this uh, this week and I was like, well, this is great. There's still those kind of retro, soulful vocal inflections in there, but this, this there's just so much more going on. I love the kind of decadent, maximalist kind of, you know, all the, all the kind of layering and all the stuff going on and if those echoes and warps. You know, it's it is quite sophisticated electronica, but there's it's still quite poppy. I think mm. there's still kind of a strand in there. It's still you know a, a lament to a fading relationship, and there's it's still. I think you could probably still sing along to it. It's it's kind of palatable electronica, which I think is. I, I, a good I vastly thing. prefer it to what yeah. we used to do because I used to find people oh, go, yeah. people go, oh, you know, this sort of uh, auteur Jamie Liddell, and you know, is sort of a uh, polymath genius and all this kind of thing mm. and I'd put his records on and although they didn't exactly sound like him a little part of me would think yeah Jamiroquai you yeah. know there's a little there was mm. always this seems to be this slight gap between the way he was talked about and the end result which he'd got some boring you know straightforward mm. retro this on the other hand seems to be sound exactly like the way people who talk about Jamie Liddell you know what I mean it sounds like Should the way sounded. they describe him yeah, yes yeah, exactly you're right. so no I, I really like this Alex I thought it was really good I mean before yeah he definitely dared to be dull and I was sort of, <laughs> and I was sort of thinking, what is it that I'm missing? Because you know, he's on he's on Warp Record. Yeah. But to me, this just sounds like a pretty, again a kind of pretty boring soul revival. But I, but I, I really I really liked it. And then when I listened to it again, I liked it even more. I mean, I thought it was a really good song. It often works when you have quite soulful vocals with a sort of grinding mm. industrial sort of production. It, it, it does. It it all leads back to um, Yazoo. 
I think I think, <laughs> I think true. I'm no, genuinely you're the first right. yeah. sort of people to do that. If you if you yeah. listen to sort of synth music before you do, it's all kind of I speak in robot voice, you know, and then mm. you get this sort of gutsy singer that belts it out over the top. It's quite interesting. It's true. And when you think of Janet Jackson's first albums, they they, they they had a lot of pipe banging influences. Didn't yeah, they? for sure. Yeah, and in, in a, and in a way, it's it, it's a bit like that. But uh, I liked how rough it was, and I, I am sort of interested in seeing him live because he he loops it all himself, doesn't he? And apparently, apparently, does he? Apparently, when you see it, it's it's amazing. Oh, Although right, apparently, okay. he's also very erratic or or used to be erratic in what sort of sense? Well, it? apparently, sometimes he's terrible and sometimes. Oh he's right, not in a kind of like um. Not like as in musically uh, erratic. No, 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 no. As in some nights it, he's he's rubbish. Oh really? So. <laughs> I wonder if that's a symptom right. of the loop pedal, though, because I remember seeing Jamie Moon and having similar experiences. Sometimes he was great, really in control, with all the looping and all the technical stuff on stage, and sometimes it was a real shambles. Poor old Jamie Moon, eh? Oh no! What happened to Jamie Moon? Oh no! So <laughs> I had so such high expectations <laughs> for that Night Air single. Oh, no. I was playing that. To, I remember playing it to people like um, I went to interview uh, Guy Chambers, oh, yeah. you know, and I, he was like working with X Factor. But I was like, this is the record that that like. I think I was trying to get him to make a record that sounded like that with Matt Cardle. I was like, this is the sort of record Matt Cardle should make. This is amazing. It's really... And then the Jamie Moon album came out. It was really boring. <laughs> it was really boring. I mean, it was less boring than Matt Cardle's album, but, you know, it was one of the... And then I went to see him live, and there wasn't that many people there, and you could just yeah. tell the kind of momentum yeah. had gone from behind it. And Poor old Jamie Woo, eh? Yeah. Um, but there you go. Um, Jamie Liddell, so this is this Herald's new album, does it? Yes, um, it's out on Warp. I don't know the exact date, but look out for the album. It's going to be good, judging by this. I shall do. Right, well, let's move on to my choice. That's uh, Janitor of Lunacy uh, by... I don't know how they're billing themselves, to be honest with you. I don't know whether they're billing themselves as XTG or as um, Carter, Christofferson, Tutti or whatever. It's three former members of Throbbing Gristle. Um, And this is from an album called Desert Shore, which is... um, Well, it's it's, it's a two-CD set called Desert Shore, The Final Report. And um, it's a project that they began as Throbbing Gristle, uh, slightly complicated. They did initial recording sessions for the album were done in front of an audience for 12 hours. They did it at the ICA. Apparently, actually, just recorded this album. It wasn't like a show or anything like that. They completely um. ignored the audience. Then Genesis P. Orridge left Throbbing Gristle, and then Peter Christofferson died. Um, he was apparently the brains, you know, the, the main force behind the project. And um, the two remaining members of the band, um, Chris Carter and Cozy Fanny Tutti, who we've had on the pod, um, decided to sort of complete this project as a tribute to Peter Christofferson and brought in a, success, a lot of different guest vocalists. Uh, that track's got Anthony on it. Um, it's also got Mark Almond on the album. Um, Sasha Gray, the uh, famous uh, porn star slash electronica uh, artiste, is on it. Um, there's a kind of weird array of people. Gaspar Noé, the, uh, the uh, French film director, sings on one track. Blixer Bar, Girl from Manchester, Send Annoy About. I brought it in for lots of different reasons. Um, I think uh, Desert Shore, I'm reviewing it this Friday in The Guardian, 
Um, I think it's an absolutely brilliant album. I mean, I genuinely think uh, I, w- I was a, a man. I'm a big Throbbing Gristle fan, and I was very uh, equivocal about them reforming because I don't really think that's what Throbbing Gristle were ever about. They were sort of on stage playing the hits, such as it was, and that's kind of not. Re- it was to do with fulfilling the audience's expectations, and that wasn't really what Throbbing Gristle and the Initial Incarnation were about. It was very much about doing the opposite of what people wanted them to do. Da 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 da. However. This album, for whatever reason, it's just worked incredibly well. I think it partly works because the source material is brilliant. It's a complete reworking of Nico's 1971 album, Desert Shore. And obviously it's a record they really love. And it's also a record that's got a lot of space on it because it's just her and a harmonium. So you can do what you want with it, you know. And this particular track I like because Anthony's voice, Anthony Hegarty's voice, it's quite a familiar sound, I think. And like when he did that Hercules and Love Affair track, Blind, if you take it out of um, the context in which he tends to do it with the Johnsons, which is this sort of torch song thing, you know, pianos and stuff like that, you're sort of struck again by how remarkable his voice is. And I think it's quite a sort of, um, you know, I've sort of forgotten that it's kind of an emotionally affecting kind of tool, his voice. Did you like it, Kieran? I did. Wow. Um I, I did actually I think that Oh no I didn't <laughs> <laughs> It's just so moody it's just yeah exactly like you say his voice fits perfectly I think if it you know, if there was any other voice I think it would be maybe too tense um too difficult a listen but I thought it worked really well that kind of juxtaposition between this very incredibly slow moving grind and kind of his really powerful voice I mean I think it probably would be quite a lot of hard work for me to like just sit and listen to the album and not do anything else. It's a very ringing. I mean, I've reviewed it, which involves also re- listening to the Nico album, which is which is you know, let's be frank, it no picnic in itself. <laughs> and I did feel after I listened to that, and then there's another album with it. It's like these improvisations the three of them did shortly before Peter Christopherson died. Yeah, which is again, it's it's pretty. You know, threatening, dark, it's menacing, electronica. isn't it? And it's like, I really did feel after I listened to this about three or four times, oh my God, I'm sort of emotionally put through the ringer here. But that's a good thing. And this comes after me reviewing like One Direction, Robbie Williams, and I can't remember what the other pop, uh, Rihanna. Yeah. And also, I thought there's something really nice about people who are clearly making music with no commercial intentions whatsoever. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's been for different, different reasons. Anyway, mm. Alex. Um, yeah, I liked it very much. I mean, it has it does have a very requiem kind of quality. There's a there's a sort of trumpet solo at the end, like mm. a, kind of like a like a la- last post. It, funnily enough, though, it's it's less harsh than the original, isn't it? If you listen to yeah. them side side by side, yeah. in, in a way, it's almost it's almost like a like a more friendly version of what of what the of what the the Nico track is. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's less sort of like ascetic than the Nico track. It yeah. is, and the, and because they're sung in in kind of Anthony's tones, in a way, you you don't you don't sort of realise how how kind of harsh the the lyrics are. Mm. But I su- but but I suppose you know it's the beginning of a total immersion in this in this mood then then it would it would very much kind of set that different set that people up. actually sing it's really interesting how different artists approach singing this stuff and none of them sings it like nico you know, i've seen james dean bradfield singing this funnily enough really yeah Where was that? well that was a there was a tribute to nico at this on this in the south bank about three years ago and he he he's, he, he kind of really attacked it to a sort wow. of rock backing so it, it was the opposite treatment but i mean it sho- i guess it shows you that that, that the song can kind of take which is not what you think when you hear it. You don't sort of think no, this is a song classic songwriting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, no, there's a variety of different approaches in the album that I find really interesting. In that um, Mark Orman's track, he gives it the full kind of like tragic diva sort yeah. of, you know. But it actually works incredibly well. And Cozy sings a track, Cozy from Throwing Gristle. And she sings it in this kind of totally sort of transparent, sort of 
guileless way. And that works as well. So maybe this material is more right for... The only one whose track doesn't work as well is Sasha Gray, who sort of does this kind of, I'm doing an industrial track kind of <laughs> voice, and it's, it's a bit, you know, mad. Um, is it a weird thing for them to do to end on a cover, though? I, I, I think it's... I think sort of and sort of not, because I think that... Sh- I think that... Long theory about Throbbing Gristle. I think part of the problem Throbbing Gristle had when they reformed was what I said. It's this business about expectations and, mm. and people, you know, there's such a sort of legend around Throbbing Gristle. You can't live up to that. Like, you know, they're supposed to be the, the you know, whatever, the most far out thing ever. Mm. And it was this incredibly punishing music and da 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 da. And, you know, it's, it's impossible to live up to. And I think this is something really unexpected mm. that they did. Um, and I always think that. As a, the choice of a material is really good because she's a very... By the time she makes Desert Shore, Nico is sort of a very throbbing, gristlish artist in that she has far more to do... That album has far more to do with a sort of European avant-garde tradition than it does with rock music, same as throbbing gristle. And her music has... Be, her sort of vision has become so bleak and so parted. It's kind of a record that, like, defies you to enjoy it. Mm. And that, you could say, is pretty much the sort of essence of Throbbing Gristle is it's it's like we're defying you to enjoy what we do, you know. Mm. Um, it's sort of confrontational thing instead. This does seem more accessible because I've got to say that some of the some of the like most difficult musical experience that I've had this year is you just sending me Throbbing Gristle tracks to listen to. I don't to. just do this like, to people, you know. I don't just sort of like, randomly slip them in the psychedelia. Bones. Fine, a lot of the prog is fine. Like I've you know I've been getting good education. This like th- those tracks, I just thought there was n- there was no way in for me. I just mm. couldn't find a way in. It just felt like every step exactly what you're talking about. There was you know this defiance really sort of uh, kind of punishing listen that I just couldn't really get on board with whereas this felt like you know I could you know I could there was something that I could get there was kind of a thread yeah no definitely it's, 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 there's a dark beauty I think about this it album is. which is not um you know it, 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 beauty is not really a word one associates with throbbing gristles uh, anyway there you go um that is uh, the lead track uh first track um from an album which is out on Monday Since the demise of indie band Hefner, uh, Darren Heyman has had a pretty peculiar career. He tends to make albums with a theme, not least his Essex trilogy, um, which he's concluded with an album called The Violence. Um, one album was about Essex Newtowns, the next was about dogging in the Essex countryside, and the final one is about the, uh, the witch trials in Essex. I spoke to Darren Heyman, he told me all about it. Talk about um, about the new album and about it's part of a trilogy. It forms part of a trilogy, yeah. loose trilogy. Yeah. Loose. What 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 inspired you to to make three albums about Essex? Um, I found myself writing about my adolescence anyway, uh, sort of shortly after Hefner and the French. Um, the all of the albums are sort of peppered with songs about school and my teenage years and living in a small town. And it didn't seem to go away. It seemed to be a subject I kept returning to. So I thought that I should do it properly. And it wasn't, that wasn't conceived as part of free. And then I, was, I got really into walking. And I got into the Pathfinders walking book. And me and my wife would go out to Essex. 
and see a different Essex to the one I knew, to the, the Essex, the, the, the south bit of Essex that's bunched around London. And I started to like think about cars and how cars were everything. T- to me in a small town, they were like escape. Mm. You, know, you, you just had to get a car once you were once you're old enough to drive one. And also tying that in with Dagnum Ford of course. and closing down, um, joyriding, the reputation of Essex drivers, the fact that we kept seeing burnt-out Ford cars on these walks. I joked at the time that it was about dogging, and it's not <laughs> exclusively about dogging, but there are two or three songs about dogging, so it's, that's the kind of countryside I'm, I'm writing about. There's a big leap from that to writing an album about the Essex witch trial. Yeah, um, there's one song on Essex Arms where I had a, a, a lyric about the, the, the four humours, the blood, phlegm, yellow and black bile. And also on that song I used woodwind. And there was just something about that which excited me using that kind of uh, language. And one thing that's been constant uh, in all my career is, I suppose, um, a use of uh, modern idioms and slang. Mm. I, I, I use... Uh, brand names and, and very uh, London colloquialisms a lot in my lyrics. Um, and so I, I, I like the idea of doing something historical as a, a lyrical restraint, really, that it would mean I couldn't use any of those tropes that I mm. usually use. Uh, so that meant that I was, in a, I was actually looking for something historical and about Essex, because I thought two was an uneven, wasn't, wasn't the right number of records to do. Is it fair to say within the sort of, I mean, you know, trying to have a sort of chart of witch trials here, that they're sort of less well-known than the kind of Pendle witch trials? I think that, I'm not sure, well, obviously you wait ages for one witch trials album (laughs) and then three come at once because there's a Pendle's witch trials. Of course, with them, yes, yes, absolutely. I would have thought that I knew more about the Essex witch trials, but maybe that's because I'm from there. Sure. You, you, You do a lot of stuff, it strikes me now, that's thematic. Uh, whether I mean you, did, I mean you put out your output is pretty torrential. You, you put out a, a instrumental album earlier this year uh, based around Lido's mm. outdoor outdoor swimming pools. Um, last year you did the January songs where you wrote a song every day yeah. um, for for a month. Is it important for stuff to have a theme? Does that to you? I mean, it, and how much of that is a reaction? Is a little theory for you to. The fact that when you're in Hefner, I always got the impression that people liked you being one thing, which was the sort of, you know, the bedsit poet of the Holloway mm. Road. And when you moved away from being that into something different, people, did, you know, people were quite sort of pissed off. <laughs> oh, I, well, just on Friday, Cargo sent me the returns for the reissue of Dead Media. It hasn't really, really changed. They, 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 oh, like, really? Like, like, they were still pissed off about them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I try and work within the confines of what I am. I, I think I... I, think I I suppose I still am a bedsit writer of Holloway Road. And I sort of, I am sort of, when I'm writing about witches being hung on the River Stour, I am sort of aware that people who are listening to it and like it um, are possibly people that liked me singing about yeah. looking to get shagged in indie clubs. Yeah, yeah. I sort of, there is a, I do try, I'm trying to, I am aware of a continuity. I think I'm scared of um, a blank canvas. Mm-hmm. I'm a scared of, someone saying you can do anything you like Mm -hmm. you can write any song you like go in that room write any song you like you've got all the instruments in the world which you usually have on a on a mac Mm. i find that 
scary and daunting. I feel like I have to give myself written briefs as a teacher would a student. So I think that's one way my writing works, is that I sort of, sort of, I'm almost like commissioning myself to write an album about witch trials. Um, so tell me, what, what, what inspired the Lido? The drummer in my band is also, also a, a music journalist, is uh, D- Dave Shepard, who writes for Mojo and things. Mm. And we were talking about instrumental music and we were having a conversation, a debate about whether instrumental music can be about something. Mm. And I, I guess I was starting the conversation by some people saying, oh, yeah, this is about this and that. Can it be? Can mm. it be if it's just uh, drum loops? And, mm-hmm. and Dave was making the point that he didn't see why instrumental music couldn't be just as much about something. That if you were going to uh, write a song about the, the canal outside and if you were thinking about the canal and looking mm-hmm. at the canal and writing sequence of notes, why isn't those sequence of notes just as much about that? Mm. And that stayed with me, that conversation. And so I thought about that, writing pieces of music that are about places and trying to think how you make the music reflect that. And I had three or four unused instrumentals uh, from other records because they, they're usually the first ones to get. <laughs> um, but they were very much written as instrumentals. They weren't like I, I couldn't think couldn't of words. words. Right, yeah. right. Um, which is an important difference, I think. Hmm. And that was it, really. Trying, so I decided, I decided that they all had a kind of breezy summary feel but then immediately as I had the idea of writing songs about Lido's and open air swimming pools I thought about the ones that were closed mm. so that it wasn't just a really happy Penguin mm. Cafe well, I like Penguin Cafe Orchestra but I, 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 it was danger it being too joyous sure sure, sure 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 uh, so I sort of thought about how does water sound how does music sound uh, underwater how does things sound like that to you I also used field recordings and so I recorded at the lighters and embedded it so that you can't hear it often. <laughs> and then I also I also recorded um, where the lidos used to be when they were closed. Okay. So I went to the street where the lido used to be and recorded the sound mm-hmm. of the absence of a swimming pool. Right. And put that in the songs. <laughs> it doesn't really make a difference, but it perhaps makes a difference to sure. me. So hopefully that's eventually mm-hmm. communicated to the, the listener, even subconsciously. Necessary thing for an artist like yourself. Because I mean, you used to be signed to a label. You used to be signed to Pure when you were with Hefner and the French. Um, you're now sort of put some things out on on Fortuna Pop and something out yourself. And is it sort of financially necessary to have a constant turnover of stuff? Yeah, it is. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? But if I didn't have an idea in the next six months and didn't have a record to release, mm-hmm. I would happily go and work in a cafe, then put something out just yeah. to make the financial figures work. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, I am lucky in that this is just about a living, but it is a living because I do a lot of records. Mm. And so certainly 
yeah, they are. It's reliant on that. No, it's, it's interesting just because um, I was having a conversation with someone who knows the music business. And um, we're looking at the albums that... We do, don't we? We do. Better better than me, you know. And we're looking at the albums that were shortlisted for the Mercury Prize. And he made the point that out of all of them, the people who definitely he knew had turned a profit were field music, who'd sold the least. um, Because they operate in a very tight... You know what I mean? I was talking to someone I think we both know yesterday about Mm. this, and they were saying exactly the same thing, that like field music, um, you know... The pair it right I'm down. thinking of the Dennis Waterman sketch in uh, Little Britain. I've wrote the music. But yeah, they, they, they record, master, produce everything themselves. I mean, field music are small in terms of Mercury Music Prize artists, I, I expect. But even at my smaller level still, that's true. Mm-hmm. And, and similarly, you're trying to always, hopefully you're always making decisions based on the art. Mm. That's, that's what I hope I... So that if I need to go to a studio to record the brass section and the drum kit, then I do. And hopefully it's not me thinking I won't turn a profit if I don't. Mm. Hopefully the, 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 the financial constraints don't shape the music. But luckily, I do tend to like small sounding things. I like acoustic guitars and, and things that don't really cost a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> That's Aaron Heyman. The violence is out now. Over on the Music Weekly blog, Nigel B says, Great to hear Alexis giving some love to Johnny Alliday, and in particular the RPM comp. Essential stuff. Then try Jacques Dutronc. Jacques Dutronc. Moi, moi, moi. What a great record. Uh, Joe Kiki. Saw the lovely eggs supporting Shown at Knife recently <laughs> at the National Department of Twee. Um, and they certainly made me sit up and take notice. How can you not love a band? He shout, this is the National Anthem of Lancaster. And proceed to sing a song called Fuck It. That sounds brilliant. <laughs> that sounds really good. Can we have the links back to songs, asked Tom Spot. Yep, sorry, we missed those off last week. Apparently there was a bit of a computer meltdown. Oh, terrible. Music Lover 2000 says, great podcast, good story. Everybody's very positive. I know, we're a hit. Something wrong. (laughs) What's happened? Music Lover 2000. Anyway, great podcast, good stuff from everyone. For everyone. Mm, there you go. I've been to the London Jazz Festival for the past three years and it's always been an education and a delight. Hypocrisy of Democracy says... Good, good Guardian yep. uh, blog name there. Very Hypocrisy good. of Democracy. Excellent. <laughs> Love the feature on Jacques de Jeanette. Some people are just born cool. Keep the thoughts coming on the blog. And that's us that this is. week. What, we're born cool? Oh, we're right. Cool. Yeah, some people are born cool. Some people... He, I think they've punctuated that wrong. I think he said, Love the feature on Jacques de Jeanette. Full stop. Some people are born cool. Like Alexis and Kieran, that's that, and right. they've edited that out to make it sound like he's praising Jack on it. Anyway, look, no, that's us. I mean, that's it. That we're done. We're done for the week. Um, thanks to Alex. Thank you, Alex, for coming in. Um, back next week. Uh, this show was produced by Pascal Wise. Bye bye. Bye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk/audio.